Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age, so parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. Now, some of you know a little about my backstory. I've been an entrepreneur for most of my working life, and you know I really love the freedom that I have. I get to choose what I do, how I structure my days, where I invest my personal development, and where I invest in my business. Freedom is really everything to me. I want to live my best life now, to wake up every day excited for what lies ahead, and have choice in the matter. Now, that's why I'm really excited to speak with today's guest, Naomi Fisher. Now, she has a really interesting backstory. She actually went from working in a handmade cake factory back in the day, which was a highly stressful job, which she didn't even have control over her break times, to now being a clinical psychologist and the author of an exciting new book called Changing Our Minds, How Children Can Take Control of Their Own Learning. And out of the many things in her book, one of the things she talks about is you know, why having control, having autonomy in learning and in life is really essential for growth, health, and happiness. So we're going to dive in deeply into this topic, which I think is especially relevant given the world that we're living in right now, where in the battle against this pandemic, you know, much of our collective control over our lives has been greatly reduced. And what, what's, what's the impact of that been and, and what, what it could it possibly be in our future? So we'll examine the effects, you know, of a controlled environment on kids who've spent, you know, much of their childhood in in a conventional school system, where, like Naomi, Naomi experienced in her early job, you have to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. She's a mother of two self-directed learners who were unschooled for six years, then attended a Sudbury model school in Paris, and now are members of the self-managed learning college in her town of Hove in the UK. So get ready to dive into the psychology of self-directed learning. We're going to look at why it works, how it works, and how you can make it work for you and your family. Naomi, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Wonderful. And how are you doing these days? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I think I've really had enough of lockdown. I don't know what it's like with you, <laughs> but in the UK, we've had strict lockdown here since Boxing Day. You know, yeah, it's been a long slog. It's been a long time. We're kind of ready to move on. But, you know, it's it's okay. Things are moving on. Spring is coming, which is good too. So. Absolutely. Yeah, actually here in, in Canada, it's this week it started to get above freezing. Oh, great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my, I was out yesterday with my son. Uh, we wandered over to the nearby school to see if we could shoot some some hoops. And there was a little bit of pavement showing in between the, the bits of snow. So and it's supposed to be about... 20 millimeters of rain today so uh we're, wow. we're cheering on the, the it's snow not melting. quite so bad here but we are we're <laughs> looking for the daffodils the daffodils just coming out now which show us that spring is on the way and yeah we're Fan. quite we're quite ready for it this year yeah fantastic so Naomi, i'm really curious how, how did you become passionate about self-directed learning and 
as you're describing it, also just kind of curious, what is you know what does self-directed learning mean for you for for, for those out there who maybe aren't familiar with the term? So for me, self-directed learning is learning where the learner is in charge of both what they're learning and when they learn it and when they can stop. So they choose what they're doing. In a way, it doesn't matter too much what they're actually doing. It's whether the learner is the person who has autonomy over the, the learning that matters. So you could have a class full of kids and actually some of those kids could be self-directed if they've chosen to be there, they want to be there, and they know they can leave. If your child's made to be there, their parents said, you're not stopping that class, you've got to keep doing it, then they're not self-directed. So that's the bit that really, that's that's what matters to me. And I think as a clinical psychologist, I've seen how important choice and autonomy is in how people feel about themselves and the way in which they feel about the lives they live. And that's one thing that really convinced me that we had to put education, which is something that children spend so much of their time doing, that really that choice and autonomy needs to be at the heart of our education. If we're serious about raising kids who are resilient, raising kids who feel good about themselves and who can hopefully improve the world that we're living in. So that's that's the self-directed learning bit. Do you want me to talk now about how I got there? <laughs> yeah. So just to summarize, so yeah, so so self-directed learning, it's, it's in a sense, really just having like full control of everything, right? What yeah. you do, how you do it, when you do it. Obviously, um, within the parameters of the law and your culture. <laughs> not right. that you can, you know, if you really want to go and learn about shooting people, no, that's not self-directed education. But yeah, right. it's about the learner being the person who takes control over their learning and who has who knows that they are the one who's responsible for their learning. Right, so not 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 testing all the furniture in the house to see which is more flammable than other things. <laughs> well, that could be self-directed learning, but quite dangerous. Yeah, we've had some quite dangerous experiments <laughs> in our house, <laughs> but um, it's about what do you want to learn about, and it's about the way actually lots of adults learn. I mean, most of what I do is self-directed in my life. I decide, do I want to learn about this? I'm self-employed, so I'm not in a job, which I think makes a difference. But if I want to learn about something. I say, okay, I want to learn about this. How am I going to do it? Maybe I'll go on a training course. Maybe I'll get a book. Maybe I'll listen to a podcast or watch a video. But in all of those, I'm the person who's deciding that that's what I'm doing. No one is saying yeah, to me, right, 100%. you've got to do this now. Yeah, and that, that resonates with me so much as well. So yeah, how, how did you get down this path? I mean, that was interesting when I was reading about your backstory, right? Starting out in a, in a, a cake factory and <laughs> yeah. those, your well, supervisor was like cranking well, up the speed of the machine just to make sure you were working hard enough. Like, oh gosh, that, that job was truly, truly the bottom <laughs> of, my, <laughs> of my existence. Yes. So, but, but way back before that was when it all started really, because I actually went to 11 different schools when I was growing up. So my parents moved around a lot. I didn't go to any one school for more than two and a half years. I went to a whole range of schools. I went to a Steiner school, Waldorf school for a while. I went to a selective grammar school. I went to a comprehensive school. I went to an American middle school that was actually, it was international. I went to a state comprehensive school in the UK. I went to really a wide range of different schools. I even ended up in a boarding school. So, and we were homeschooled for a bit. Is this by by design? Like they just Uh, wanted to I don't think they set out to do tests on you as a kid? (laughs) Education (laughs) experiment. (laughs) No, it was that they were, my parents were working in development. So we lived in Africa, in Botswana and in South Africa and in what was Zaire for a while is the Congo now. So each time we moved, of course, we had to change schools. And then of course, you also change schools because you're a particular age, right? So like you're 11 and you change schools. So there's the kind of normal changes of school, but then as well as that, we had a lot of changes of schools. So doing this whole 
education experience that I had made me really skeptical about a lot of the things that school said was really important because I was going through this experience. Each school had a really different approach, a different ethos, different things they thought were absolutely crucial. So like the Steiner School, they didn't teach you to read until you were about seven or eight. You weren't meant to start reading until you were losing your teeth. And then we weren't allowed to draw on paper that had sharp corners. And we weren't allowed to use black. And we weren't allowed to use dry paper. There was all sorts of rules that were, despite the fact that Steiner has this reputation as being, you know, lovely child-centered, there were some quite strange rules. And then as I progressed through my school career, some schools would have rules like uniform. Lots of schools in the UK have school uniform. And I had, I, when I was age 14, I came back to the UK and I went into this girls' grammar school. We all had to wear very strict uniform. And in fact, the teacher was at the door measuring our skirts, whether they're too long or too short, right? Because too long was actually... <laughs> <laughs> did you ever ever miss the cut on that? Uh, I didn't, but other people did and were sent home, right? So there's something, okay, so your skirt length is actually more important meant to be going on in this school, which is learning, because if your skirt length is wrong, we're sending you back. So I started to get more and more skeptical about the things that school seemed to say were essential. And also I was moving school system all the time as well. Yeah. So I was learning that this thing about you've got to do everything in a linear way that the early years build on, you know, build up to the later years wasn't actually true because I wasn't following any one curriculum through and they didn't right. all do the same things. They all taught really different things. And yet somehow I was still always more or less at the same level as my peers. It wasn't like I would get to, you know, I wouldn't arrive at the the British school not having studied anything in the British curriculum for the last six years. I wouldn't be six years behind. It didn't work like that. I was pretty well where they were. It's just that I had a bit of different specific knowledge. I knew a lot about American history. They knew more about English history, but that was it. So that may, I think that's kind of set me up to think what they're telling us isn't quite, doesn't quite match with what I'm actually learning with my actual experience. So that was my childhood yeah, experience. What a, Go on. Despite all the, the, the change, what a, what a gift that was for you to be able mm. to see it from a, a different perspective, right? There, there is more than, than, than one way. It, in fact, many ways can work out just fine. Absolutely. And I think that was really valuable. And I've just seen that because we just spent two years in France with my kids just doing that. Also, I could see how they were learning that being there, how they were seeing, hang on, in France, so many things are done differently. So many things that we hadn't thought to question are done differently. Just like you know, in France, you go out every day and you buy fresh bread, a baguette in the morning. And in fact, a baguette is only fresh for about three hours. And the baker then cooks them all again in the afternoon. And bread that you've really? bought. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, we go out and we buy a loaf of bread and we expect it to last for three or four days. There's no way French people expect their bread to last for three <laughs> or four days. And the bakery's open every day because they have to. Yeah, because bread doesn't last. It's just going to different countries, I think, gives you that different mindset of there isn't, isn't just one way to do this. So why are we telling everybody there's only one way to do it? That's why I think it's really it's really valuable to have you know opportunity to have different perspectives. Like like for instance, like travel, like you being in France showed you showed you open up to, to different things. And you know, I, I spent three years volunteering in Bangladesh many years ago. And the main reasons I chose to do that was I felt like my life in North America was quite sheltered. Right, that I didn't have a bigger worldview, and I wanted to kind of shake a lot of my preconceived notions and ideas, and you know, see things from a lot of different perspectives. And boy, that really did help me to see that there's a whole lot more out there. You know, I remember 
one of the biggest gifts actually from Bangladesh was the gift of extended family and, you know, how so many generations live together and, and kids know their aunts and uncles intimately. And we wanted to bring some of that back for our kids to have that kind of experience. So yeah, so many, so many amazing lessons from Ooh, and different you learn so cultures. Much about yourself, I think. You learn so much oh about goodness. your own culture, which you don't see when you're in your own culture. You go somewhere else and suddenly all your own cultural quirks and weirdities are up there right in front of you. And then you're, when you're in your own, your own country, surrounded with your own culture, it's just invisible. And I think school culture is like that. When you're at school, everybody does the same thing. And it just doesn't occur to you to question any of those things. They're just the cultural norms. They just are how things are. And I think it's, unless you have that experience of coming outside it, it's hard to really question it. And many people, of course, they go through school, then they have their own children and they put their own children into school. So they kind of have a double experience of schooling because being a parent of a school child is akin in a way to being schooled. You still have to play by the rules of the school. You have to be there at the right times and wear the right clothes and get the right haircuts and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that moving different countries is very valuable. And right now with the, with the pandemic, it's kind of creating that that opportunity to see things differently because it is different, right? With with us, so many, oh, I know, clearly like in the UK right now with the lockdown or anything, like things are so different that for perhaps the first time for a lot of people, they're seeing things in a different way. They're starting to question the things. They're seeing their kids, how they're engaging in education and learning or not engaging in education and learning and realizing, hmm, maybe this isn't quite what I thought it was, right? So I guess you kind of touched a lot on, on what got you into this, but I mean, obviously this went beyond just, you know, your own personal belief for yourself. How did this become like kind of your crusade? A choice, well, Partly it was that when my children were born, so I have two children and they're now aged 12 and 9, and when my son was born, it was clear quite quickly that he was not really one to play by the rules. He wasn't much of a complier. He didn't like to do what everybody else was doing. He was very much someone who was going by the beat of his own drum. And he was young in his year group, which in the UK means you start, if you're born in the summer, you go to school when you're much younger than if you're born in the autumn. And I was actually an autumn birthday. So I was born in October. So it had never really been something I'd thought about. But here was my son born in July, and he was meant to start school that September, just as just after he'd been four. And as it got closer and closer to that date, and I mean, we thought he was going to school. We had a place for him at the local primary school. It was on our road. It was an excellent school. You know, it was all the, his future was mapped out, basically. And the closer we got to it, the more I thought, I just can't square this with how my son actually is. Because I'm a psychologist, right? So I've trained, and I, I've trained a lot of psych in psychology. I've learned a lot about child development and psychology. And I tried to follow those principles with my son before he went to school. So I tried to be, I wasn't punishing him. I had tried to get alongside him. I tried to provide loads of opportunities for play. I had tried not to make him feel bad about his behavior, but to try and understand the behavior. And then I noticed we were going to go to school and suddenly I would have no choice about any of those things anymore. It would be whoever his teacher was, however she chose to, or he chose to talk to him, that was that. And also they would be telling me what they thought he should be learning. So I actually went to the meeting just before he was meant to start school in September. This was like in the June. So he was still three. And they gave me a list of keywords that they wanted me to teach him over the summer. And it was like this list of completely random words like the and but 
And I just looked at this and I looked at my three-year-old who was basically in the stage where he was just tearing around like a maniac and, you know, make, creating havoc everywhere he went. And I thought, this is an enormous mismatch between child and education system and we're going to fail at it. <laughs> That's actually what I thought. I thought, I don't want to put my son into a system where he's going to fail and he's going to be told he's a failure, but not complying to some system, some standardised system, which I reject. So I thought, okay, we'll just skip that. We won't do it. We'll wait. And of course, as a psychologist, I also had this experience of having worked with lots of children who weren't very happy at school. And that's another part of my whole thing, working with kids who often get diagnoses later on of special educational needs and who come and talk to me about just how difficult school is. So I knew how badly things could go wrong. And I thought, okay, we won't do it. We'll skip it. We'll keep him at home. And then it turned out, I mean, I did sort of already know this, but it turned out that he was utterly resistant to any kind of instruction utterly mm. the best way to stop him doing anything was to say come and learn about this he'd be like nope i'm not interested i'm not doing it i always joke that i ruined minecraft i ruined minecraft for him first because i downloaded it and i suggested it that was it he wouldn't look at it <laughs> for about That's another year he was and whenever Sounds i said a little bit like one of my sons <laughs> yeah it was just <laughs> so every time i'd be like let's do this and he'd be like nope <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like he really led me basically screaming by the nose to self-directed education because he would not stand for anything less. It was going to be him or that was it. It was his way or the highway. So we went with it. And the awesome. more I got into it, the more I thought, hang on, but this actually really fits with psycho the psychological principles, which I had already known about about learning and about motivation and why don't more people know about this because it really works yeah well, let's let's talk a little bit about what's essential to, for really for for learning to be successful in your mind well okay so in my mind for learning to really be to really work and to really be deep you need to have high quality motivation so the learner needs to be doing something because they want to do it rather than somebody else is trying to make them do it. I saw this very clearly with my son, but I think it's true for pretty well everyone. The more we tr someone tries to make us do something, the less we want to do it generally, and the less effective our learning will be. So what we're trying to do in self-directed education is we're trying to nurture high-quality motivation in kids. And that doesn't mean, sometimes people misunderstand that. They say, but, you know, sometimes we all have to do things we don't like. It's not just about doing things that you like. That's one kind of motivation. That's like, I do it because I love it. And that is sort of highest quality motivation. But other forms of internally driven motivation can be, I'm doing this because I really want to get good at it for example. So you might practice the flute every day. Not You're not actually loving the practice of the flute, but you really want to get good at the flute, so you do it. Or another would be, I'm, I'm doing this because it makes me feel good about myself. Even though it might not be that I love the activity, but when I do this, I feel good. Maybe exercise comes under that for lots of people. So all of those are internally driven motivation. And I think with self-directed education, we're really trying to provide opportunities for children and young people to feel that kind of internal drive and use that to, to power their learning. Whereas in schools, often what they're trying to do is ex is motivate children externally. So they're trying to use rewards and punishments, grades. They're trying to persuade children to learn the things that they want them to learn. And the reason they have to do that is because they've chosen in advance what the children should learn, right. which kind of puts them in a difficult position. Yeah, absolutely. As a, as a parent of three teens, one's coming to mind in particular, one of the things I'm curious about is... <laughs> How do I put this? I'm a pretty self-driven 
person myself, high achiever, you know, really try to do my best at most things, which is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I have one son who in a lot of, a lot of ways just doesn't seem to, I guess, lacking that drive or motivation, if you will. Like, it, like he, he just sort of naturally gravitates to his phone or to watching, you know, Netflix or he'll, um, you know, just play on the PS4, which is also a social thing. Like for him right now, social is huge, but I struggle for myself a little bit in trying just to help him tap into what, because I, I know he has, you know, he loves sports and things like that. And, you know, so we, we invest time into that, but like so often it just seems like he's not sure where to focus or what to do. So, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there too, right? You're feeling that, especially right now when there's a fewer options that for parents feeling like, you know, they're just quote unquote, you know, wasting their time just playing games or whatever, or just flipping through Instagram and you yeah. know, TikTok. What do you do? You mean, where's the, where's the internal motivation there? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, just when you know that there's so much more possibility, right? Yes. And, and and there's interest in, in doing that in a way where it is internal versus external. And I know it's where I struggle a little bit is, is I'll, I'll challenge and motivate and, and sometimes you know, nudge and <laughs> push a little bit to not to not settle in a sense is the way that, you know, my brain sees it. So just curious about your thoughts on that. Well, I think everybody works in different ways and we all need to learn to come to terms with our own inner motivational drives and everyone's different. So some people are really driven to do things. Other people, perhaps they have more of a tendency to to go for what the easy option is, but it really varies. But I think those people still have just as much of a need to learn to manage their own motivational drives in a way that doesn't really happen at school. Because people, because by making a choice, there's something really important about making that choice. So for example, I used to spend a lot of time on my phone, actually. When, um, in fact, during lockdown, I sometimes found myself spending a lot of time on my phone. And I noticed that I was spending lots of time on my phone and I didn't feel good after doing it. So I looked it up and I read an article which said that if you act, there's a research that shows that even having your phone visible decreases the quality of the conversation of that you have with other people because you're kind of always distracted by it. And, you know, just as I'm saying this to you, I'm realizing my phone is visible. I should really hide it. So I started hiding my phone all the time in order to change my environment in order to make it easier for me to focus and I think we need to give young people the chance to make that kind of decision and learn that kind of thing because actually if we impose it on them we take the chance to learn away from them do you see what I mean we've decided and now suddenly it's not about them managing their own motivation it's about us managing their own motivation and it can feel like if we have a child or teenager who we are pushing through doing lots of stuff, it can feel like we're doing well and we're getting there. But if the child isn't doing that because they want to do it, then at some point that's going to stop. And I think you see that a lot at university, actually. People get to university suddenly, or college, as you call it, suddenly, I don't know if it's the same with you, but in the UK, you know, you're very scheduled up to the point that you get to university. And then suddenly you might have only a few lectures every week and you don't have to be there no one's looking it's completely up to you and people just lots of people lose it because they cannot deal with the fact that now I have to make the choice to go to this lecture now I have to choose to right. do this it's not something no, no one's going to punish me if I don't do it and I think so often it can feel like pressure is the answer with our children but we just don't know what trouble that's storing up for us later down the line mm, yeah that's true and so let's get into this a bit more then. So we so we have you know, we've talked about how right now with the pandemic, right? Perhaps it's a, it's the first time for a lot of families where they're starting to see things through a different lens and realize, hmm, maybe 
maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And maybe even they're noticing other options out there. Like certainly through this podcast, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like right now is an exciting time for all kinds of innovation in the education space, which is, which is really great. So how does one make self-directed learning work? If this is something like, you know, someone's listening, like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to start go down this path. Um, yeah. Where do they start? Well, it's interesting that you're talking about the pandemic because there's been a lot of discussion here about remote learning. I don't know whether people are working the same in Canada, but in the UK up to this Monday, most kids were remote learning. So they were doing their lessons at home over the internet and their parents were having to facilitate that. And I think that was a really illuminating experience for lots of parents Firstly, because they discovered just how boring the curriculum was for many of their kids, but also because it was been so hard to keep the children doing it. And I think lots of parents have really had their eyes open to the fact that children are not voluntarily doing this, doing their curriculum. You know, they're being pushed through it at school. It's not something they're, they're not fascinated by it. They're not really interested. They're having to plow through it because they're being made to do it. And some parents have made the brave decision because, of course, the school is saying you should be doing this. If you're not doing this, you're falling behind. And we have stuff in the press all every day about how many months behind children are and how disastrous it's all going to be. But some brave parents have said, you know what? This isn't real learning. Plowing through these worksheets, getting through this stuff isn't real learning. What could be real learning now would be let's think about what you're interested in and what you'd like to do. And I think that's where self-directed learning really starts, that you start with what the child is passionate about and you do it. You do lots of it. So, example, my daughter, who's nine, at the moment, she's really into this cartoon cat called Pusheen. I do not know how she got this interest, but Pusheen is just everywhere in our lives. I mean, if I looked around here, I would find her. So we have been making Pusheen out of polymer clay. We have been making shrinky plastic charms of Pusheen. She's attending an anime drawing class, which is, believe it or not, drawing Pusheen. <laughs> there's an out, out school. There's incredible. There are obviously other kids who are really into Pusheen. Anyway, you get the picture. Whatever they're interested in, we do it. We just do lots of it. And I get resources for her in the same way as if it was, you know, if she was passionate about physics, I might be buying physics textbooks. Instead, I buy polymer clay. And that is what we do. And I join with her and do it. And I think that's the fundamental importance with self-directed education. That often what happens is parents will help their children with the schoolwork, with what they see as learning. And the other stuff, they kind of leave the children up to it themselves or they do it with their friends, particularly video games. It's not something the parent does with them. With self-directed education, we kind of flip that around and the parent joins the child in the things that the child is really passionate about. It's important for a couple of reasons. One is because we're showing them that we value what they value what they're interested in, that we don't have a kind of hierarchy of, well, what you do there is just, you know, your stuff, but the important stuff is your maths or your English. Um, the other reason is that actually one of the factors which we know nurtures intrinsic motivation or internally driven motivation is relatedness. So there are three factors to internally driven motivation. It's autonomy, a sense of mastery or competence and relatedness, so connection with other people. And I think that's particularly important during the pandemic because children can't connect with other people in the same way as they would normally. They can, some of them can do it online, but younger kids in particular, it's not the same. You know, my son, I can see the difference. My son's 12. He's really happy connecting with his friends online. They do it all the time. My daughter's nine. Online stuff just doesn't really do it for her. She's just 
like at the end of the day, she's like, I want to play. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, move around. <laughs> yeah, I want to be with other kids. Sit down and stare at a screen. Like, yeah. Exactly. So that's why we are more important than we were because we're the per- we're the, the people who can connect with them. It's also important because it gives you a chance to see your child in a different way. So my daughter, for example, she's not really in, she doesn't, she's nine and she's self-directed. She doesn't read yet. So she doesn't feel competent in that area at all. And that's quite normal for a self-directed child not to, be, to be learning to read around that age. But she's really competent when it comes to making things out of polymer clay. So I joining her in there, it's like it's a chance to her to show me her what she's really good at and for us to join on that. And with my, my son, it's Minecraft and games. So we play the video games together. And there, he really shines. So he did, he did eventually get around to Minecraft. He, another child, a happy ending. another child showed him Minecraft and that was it. Okay. So, so the rules are different for other children. <laughs> it's just adults. <laughs> yeah, it was lucky. Absolutely. We've played Minecraft ever since practically every day. That's awesome. <laughs> so as you're saying, really then, you know, for, for families, it's, as you said, it's just really focusing on what they're really interested in and perhaps just, you know, from, from other guests I've had on and my, from my own experience, they're just like paying attention to what, where they're, what they're talking about, what they're doing, you know, it, it kind of shows up. I mean, obviously you can talk about interest in this and that too, but um, we can just really just hell a lot just, just through observation. And as you said, then just kind of doubling down on it because it's not so much, not so much what the, the subject matter is, right? It's, it's more about, the skills that are being developed, the beliefs that are being developed, the the internal wiring that's going on that'll serve them, you know, years and years in, into the future. I think it's really important, especially when, you know, when, there, when there's all this fear and, and talk about, you know, as you said, falling behind and this and that and your own experience of being in, what's it, 12 different types of schools and, and, and not falling behind that, yeah, you've, you've really shown, you know, for your own experience that that's not really important at all and, and, not, and not true in any way. What are some other things that could be really important to make it work for self-directed learning? And, and ultimately, yeah, let's say, you know, I, I know some parents out there who have just kind of had it with the way school is right now, particularly because of the pandemic, right? So, so they're, they're just ready to, to drop it entirely, which is a whole other step to just getting started with self-directed learning. What would you say to parents who are curious about that option? So when you drop school entirely, it's a bit of a shock to the system for everybody. And people generally go through a period of de-schooling. So what can often happen is you stop doing school or you stop making your children do school and then they don't want to do anything at all. They literally may want to lie around in their pajamas and watch Netflix or flick around their phone, but they don't seem interested. They don't seem driven by anything. They maybe don't want, they don't want to see their peers. They don't want to socialize. And I think it's important for parents to know that there is this kind of period of kickback where it's almost like they're breathing out. The years of pressure, it's like they're decompressing from it all. And that can be when parents panic. Because parents think, this was a terrible mistake. You know, at least before he was getting up in the morning, (laughs) brushing his teeth and going to school. Now he's not even getting up. (laughs) This Uh was awful. Maybe it was only school that was keeping him, you know, going because we had a routine. And now we have no routine. Everything's fallen apart. So I think it's really important to hold your nerve through that period and that's when it's important to talk to other parents who've been through it because it's really well recognized that there's this period of de-schooling where everybody is just like wow but if we don't do school what do we do what how do we fill these days where do we where does our time go and parents start to panic because they think and that's when they buy curriculums generally they buy a lot of expensive curriculums and set up timetables and say we'll be starting at nine o'clock and we'll just re- reproduce school at home 
you don't need to do it. <laughs> well, if you do, you probably fight with your kids. So one of the things to do is you just have to dial back your own fears because it's parental fears that stop children from being able to de-school. It's the par- parents going, but you know, you really, you're falling behind. You're, everybody else your age can do this and you can't do this. That's what's going to stop self-directed learning because self-directed learning can't flow when there's a lot of fear around it. It needs to be something that people are like, yes, this can go, we work, we know this can work for us and we're going to give it a go. So what I'm hearing there is a lot of the success in the transition is more about the parent than the child. Definitely. And I think, I mean, my book is really, it's aimed at parents, obviously, but it's called Changing Our Minds. And that's because really it's about parents changing their mindset because kids know how to do this. Yeah. If you look at little kids, I mean, we all know what a self-directed learner looks like. If you've met a two or three-year-old, they are totally self-directed. They get on with their stuff. And in most countries, they don't try and sit them in desks at that stage, partly because two and three-year-olds are also really good at resisting. You know, they're great. They're like autonomous, powerful beings. And they are like, no way, I'm not putting up with this. And in fact, even nursery, kindergarten kind of education is often quite a high quality self-directed learning environment. The way they work, at least in the UK, you set up loads of activities that children really like to do and then you let them choose what they do. Why can't that just carry on? Why do we have this strange idea that now the child's five, no more choice, no more fun activities. Instead, you've got to sit in that desk and you've got to learn how to do what you're told. real life. Yeah, yeah, real life, exactly. (laughs) Exactly, that well-known real life where we sit in rooms of 30 of people the same age and do what we're told. I think it's bizarre. I've gone through an interesting transformation myself over the last few years. I mean, I'm 49 now, and you know, I, I realized that a lot of my life, a lot of my career, it was it was just about kind of grinding things out and, and kind of losing sight of the fun, even as an entrepreneur, right? And and one of the things that I've really been trying to work on more is yeah, having looking at more and more ways to build fun into my days and and my kids. My kids, I mean, I have three kids. They're all on a different path. Graham's in a self-directed online school. Malia's kind of doing a mix of traditional curriculum and, and her own stuff. And uh, my son, David, just for the first time ever is in grade nine in a traditional school, mainly because I think he needed the social side of things. I really appreciate their focus on fun, right? And enjoying life. And I have a lot to learn from them. Well, that's the thing. Kids are much more in touch with this. I mean, if you think about it, you've had many more years of schooling than your kids have had. And I actually think if we then go into a job which works on similar principles to school, you have years and years and years of de-schooling to do. And many adults never start the de-schooling process. So that's why I say I think we always have to start with our kids and see what our kids love and follow our kids' lead because they are much more in touch with their own internal drives than we are typically, even if we think we're quite in touch with them because they just haven't had so many years of being told that they're wrong and they've got to suck it up, basically. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else from your book you'd like to, to, to share with our, our audience today? Is it essentially like a, in some ways, like a, I guess some background and then like kind of like a how-to to, to really make it work? The first half of it is more like is theory. So it's about because I'm a psychologist and part of what I think I'm really passionate about is sharing with people the ideas that the psychology that I think is behind self-directed learning. So I have chapters on learning theories, on motivation theories, and also on the research into self-directed education to kind of give people confidence that actually this is an evidence-based approach. It's not just something, because often people can say, well, of course you're going to, you're going to say it's a great idea. That's what you're doing with your kids. So I'm trying to add an extra element where I'm saying, yes, but it actually makes sense as well. If you think 
about it. If you think about the things we all know, like, for example, we all learn better when we choose what we do as opposed to when somebody tries to make us do it. We all know that, but somehow we don't think we don't apply that to our kids. And then the second half of the book is more how to do it. So it's a chapter on de-schooling, one on how to support your self-directed learners, there's one on well-being, and then there's one on diversity and difference, because that's another aspect I'm really interested in, how children who are different or children who are neurodiverse, how they often hit the school system and the response of the school system is to say, there's something wrong with you, you're disordered. And then you said they send them off to people like me to be diagnosed with a disorder and sometimes give them medication and to be effectively that's how we manage children who don't fit into the school system and I think there's something really wrong with that because there's the, there's the sort of expectation that the school system itself is fine the kids are not and I think we need to flip that around and say well what if these kids are fine and the school system isn't what would that mean what would we have to change so that the, the school system actually worked for these kids rather than trying to change the kids so they work in the school system yeah. So your, your book helps to address some of that issues for parents who are faced in those situations. I hope so. Yeah. Um, any, anything else you'd like to, um, that we haven't covered today, I think would be really important for our listeners to know. I think it's really important what you said about the pandemic, giving us another chance to think about things from a different perspective. And I think Alan Thomas, who's a researcher in home education, he talks about parents going through a kind of process of discovery for themselves when their children are out of school. And I think lots of parents have actually been going through that process without having chosen to take their children out of school, of course. So more that their children were out of school and they've discovered a lot about learning and how their children learn and what makes them excited, what doesn't. And I think it'd be great if we could hold on to some of those ideas as the children go back to school, as things hopefully move on, so that rather than it just being back to normal, it could be back to normal, but we've learned from this experience. And the learning hopefully will help us do something better in the future. Fantastic. Well, it's it's been a real treat um, having you on, on the show today, Naomi. I, I know I've, I've learned a lot and um, just want to Again, put a shout out for your book, Changing Our Minds, How Children Can Take Control of Their Own Learning. I'm definitely going to check it out myself and just really appreciate you uh, sharing today. How, how can people find your book or um, get in touch with you if they'd like to know more? So the best way to find me is actually Twitter. And my Twitter account is at Naomi C. Fisher and you'll find me there. And I've got links to lots of my writing and also a link to my book. So that's probably the best place to start. Fantastic. And we'll have, we'll have links to, uh, to that in the show notes for people to, uh, to get in touch with you and, and check out your book. So again, thanks so much for being on the show today, Naomi. Thank you real so pleasure. much. It's been a real pleasure.